Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of sporting directors, delve deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shailesh and I'm the CEO at Get Football Group. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, David. How are you today, David? I'm doing well, Shailesh. And you? Yes, doing good. Doing very well. Um, so last week we started looking at this concept of heavy shirts and that was we kind of defined it as you know a club where they have a heavy shirt based upon their you know history tradition their culture you know their previous successes legendary players you know things that can weigh on the shirt and those associated with it and how it kind of can impact that club operationally and then we wanted to kind of see well as a sporting director what do they need to think about you know when they are working within those organizations so last time we covered um, Lyon in in Liga, Lazio in Serie A, and and Everton in the in the Premier League was was a very insightful conversation. And if you haven't heard it yet, then you know I'll put the link in the show notes, and hopefully you can go back and listen to it. But the conversation went on, um, and it was really interesting. But we we were quite ambitious, I guess, in what we wanted to cover, and you know there were three or four clubs that we wanted to kind of go over. And we thought we'd cover those in the first part today and then go in, in a slightly different angle, still linked to heavy shirts. So, David, let's get it right into it, right? So, I mean, two, two clubs that we talked about and we mentioned, um, Athletic Bilbao in La Liga and Schalke in the Bundesliga, you know, both clubs that are actually third in the role of honour in terms of successes um, within those leagues. You know, the ownership structures are, I guess, kind of similar in terms of their member-owned. Both have, I guess, big, big clubs in their leagues that are very difficult to bridge. So I really wanted to kind of group this together and see whether it works. But, you know, what what, are, what do you think from a sporting director's angle and, and how they would approach the shirt that's heavy? I mean, why do you think the shirt is heavy? You know, and, you know, what do you think a sporting director would need to do, I guess, to to navigate that, I guess? Yeah, so um, it it is very nuanced and layered to talk about uh, not just a sporting director role, but especially when you overlay that role and its impact in relation to a club's history and and you know to use the term for our our episode here, heavy shirt. And I'll, I'll start with Schalke just um, simply because they're not doing it. They're not. They have not been as consistent as say Bilbao has over the well. A while now, let's just say over the last decade, um, Schalke is. I mean, of course, their eternal rival is Borussia Dortmund. Um, however, uh, as I was stating earlier, one of their, I'm going to call it tenets or competitive advantages, is their youth setup. Um, what what they're able to do is take talent from the area, take them into. I believe they're Youth setup is called, is nicknamed Nappenschmied, um, like football minor, minor uh, football mine. I guess is the best way of, that I've heard uh, of that being interpreted. And they're able to launch talents on a scale that was done um, pretty magnificently. Um, I mean, I can think of uh, obviously Manuel Neuer has played there, Mesut Ozil, um, and I'll just stop there because there's. <laughs> There's a lot of players, a lot of good uh, international players as well that have come through their setup. 
So how is a shirt heavy? The shirt is heavy specifically because of what you said. Um, I can think of, I think it was uh, Schalke and HSV had a, a clock in each stadium uh, stating how long they had been in the top flight. And obviously both of those clubs have uh, have had to navigate tougher times as far as um, that reality. Um, but it always comes down to leadership, right? I mean, I say it in so many different ways um, to entertain myself, but hopefully to remind everybody that at the end of the day, if if you have a in um, in the German setup, you'd be a board. If you if your board is not leading in a manner that a um, meets expectations, b um, extends um, let's let's call it potential. Um, some people call it championship windows or windows of fighting for European places. I, however you want to categorize it, it's fine. But if you can't extend potential, um, that usually means your inability to uh, to reach timelines means that fundamentally as a club, you're not able to source talent. And that's what it really boils down to for me. The reason why Schalke has, has struggled is that they've had people in place without naming names specifically, um, so I don't bash them. Uh, They've had people in place who have not been able to source talent and then match that talent with the first team manager. Uh, That that is the bottom line, right? Uh, In in the 50 plus one setup, yes, um, it's... There's 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 pluses and there's negatives, um, but what it really highlights to me is that you, you need to be able to get a return on investment when it comes to uh, talent development, right? Uh, It's not said a whole lot when we talk about German football. Yes, Bayern has been a monster, absolute monster. What, 11 straight um, domestic titles? Uh, I think at least, um, just off the top of my head, uh, uh, three or four DFB Pokals. That's oppressive as far as the the club landscape, but what they also do, which doesn't get as much credit, is that they have one of the best best youth setups, and they're able to sell those players on. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're not selling them on for more than usually more than uh, let's just say five million euros. But that's a way of balancing the budget, right? And again, not to get too far into the the financial or the um, the, the organizational side of this con- you know of this this conversation but that that that's a benefit and then you know when you're at the top of the league when you're at the top of a country that inflates positively uh, your price tag for what you can ask for players so if my son is a good player uh, a good enough player in the youth setup for Schalke and I know we know as a family he's not going to go far in Schalke um, we may have a great relationship with Shaka and say, Hey, can we, can we move him on? Like, oh, well, Mr. Mr. And Mrs. Undervalue, <laughs> you're, under <laughs> you're under contract with him for another 36 months. Um, the only thing that we could do is, is either loan him out or, or, you know, find a, a way to sell you, sell him on. Um, if we're having that same parallel conversation with Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich is going to be able to, collect usually nine times out of ten usually collect either a fee or a better fee um compared to where Schalke sits simply because they have more optionality they can choose to just not play me or, or to not meet my demands right Schalke is somewhat similar 
Um, however, Schalke needs to perform. Uh, every club, especially the third best club in the country, um, as far as top flight wins, needs to needs to perform. Now, how do we back? How, how do we compare that somewhat to La Liga and Athletic Bilbao? It's it's somewhat of a stretch, but the 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 core um, the core principles are there. Athletic Bilbao is one of a, a handful of clubs. Um, I believe the the clubs are um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Sevilla, Villarreal, uh, Athletic Bilbao, and I believe at Atletico uh, Madrid where every single year um, to keep their um, tax status, taxes are always massive um, in any business organization, let me tell you personally. Uh, but to keep and to keep their tax status, but then to also um, honor the tradition, the shirt, they have elections every two years. Um, some from time to time, I get the question: How come you don't write more about Latin American sporting directors and, and youth setups and this, that, and the other? It's because that's how um, the majority of Latin American clubs are set up. Every two years, there's an, elec- uh, an election, and quite frankly, whether it's you know rigged or not, if you don't win, I mean, the whole club is cleaned out, and you get a whole new cast of of leadership, coaches, directors, physios, all of the above, board, all of the above. So it's very fraught with change, which, again, isn't good or bad, but it changes your perspective of results. And maybe that's the key takeaway. Athletic Bilbao has a very uh, popular and um, very well written about policy of only playing Basque players or players who have um, been developed or grown up in the Basque region. On the face of it, it seems like probably one of the most ill-sided ways to have and source talent. However, it's one of the few clubs that has stuck to their, you know, I'm going to call it tenants as far as recruitment, and it's paid dividends upon dividends. And if you if you even zoom out even further, a lot of these coaches that we're seeing now, especially uh, crossing the channel going to the Premier League, are Basque. Andoni Iraola, Unai Emery, Mikel Arteta. Um, I'll stop there because it's early here in the, in the States. But there's many coaches from the Basque region. Um, what that tells you is that they have a very distinct and very deep culture, footballing-wise. And when you have clear, defined expectations as far as recruitment, we're only recruiting players who meet these requirements. When you have a high football tradition, a heavy shirt that everybody from, I mean, from the cantera, from the four and fives, you know, uh, the juvenile player, they know what that red and white shirt means in um, Basque country. When you're steeped in that and you only recruit a certain, I'm going to call it not, not caliber, but certain characteristic of a player, what you then create is you create a, a I call it a, a, an optimized machine, recruitment machine, where you know when you need to dial it up. So in the, I believe it's within the last week or so, hat tip, hat tip to Fabrizio Romano. Um, uh, Athletic Bilbao signed Elijah Gift from, I believe it's Liverpool. If I'm wrong, uh, please correct me. Uh, but they signed him from Liverpool for a few few million euros, right? Grew up, was, was developed in Basque country. 
I don't remember the last time um, pre uh, prior. Sorry, I don't remember the last time post COVID they've they've paid out paid up for a player of that caliber from a a non Basque club. That's not to say that it's groundbreaking or anything like that. They've done it before. Um, it's more so to say that they are so on a and a I call it on rails, train rails um, to get to their destination. Yes, some years they're fighting for the league. Not a lot of years, let's be honest. I would say in every decade, maybe once or twice. Um, every single year they're fighting for uh, the Copa del Rey. Um, every single year they get, I believe they get to at least, you know, the semifinals or quarterfinals every single year. And then some years they go fairly far in Europe. But the tradition, the, the heaviness of the shirt is more of a pride and a alignment with their cultural identity. So whatever success that happens on the pitch is a celebration. And, and that's not normal, right? Most clubs, it's either there's silverware or everybody needs a sack. Um, but then when you look at Athletic Bilbao, they celebrate Copa del Rey. They celebrate going to Europe. They celebrate, you know, um, challenging uh, for the most part, as much as they can, uh, uh, up towards, towards the league. Uh, compared to say Schalke, as far as the initial question, they're because of them straying in leadership and having to. And, that, and you know, another part of leadership is you have to be able to adjust. I mean, I, I share that on on Twitter on a fairly regular basis. Whether in management or recruitment, you have to be able to adjust. Uh, now, those of you who are smart will say, David, you just said Athletic Bilbao hasn't changed their recruitment, <laughs> their recruitment setup or, or ideals, and yes. But what have they adjusted? They've adjusted their playing style a little bit, right? They've adjusted um, how and how quickly they they um, I'm going to use the word Hoover up or call up academy talent, youth setup talent. They've adjusted how quickly they loan out players, right? There's there's always going to be an adaptation that needs to be made, yet the principles need to remain principle. I think um, gift actually. Was uh, he was actually born in, in in the Basque area, so Athletic um, obviously have kept an eye on him in his Liverpool days. But just um, from a sporting director angle, both Schalke and Bilbao, right? The gap to the to the top the top boys in those leagues are so you know it's massive, right? So from a sporting director's angle, do, would they be more concerned about? They know they're not probably going to win La Liga or they're going to win um, the Bundesliga, and even European success is probably going to be tr- tricky, right? Do you think the sporting directors are then leveraging the heavy shirt to their advantage to embrace the culture that I think you mentioned it with Bill Bow. Do you think that is primarily what they would be measured on at these type of these clubs, keeping those connections to, I guess, the heavy shirt, right, as a success measure, as opposed to bringing in some silverware, which obviously they would love to do, but it may be a step too far in many cases. No, I think it's a fair point. I, when you, especially when you, when you contrast, say, Real Sociedad, uh, Dad, Real Sociedad, who is, they don't really love Athletic Bilbao that much, but they go head to head, and they have a similar but different strategy, right? And I, I would argue that both shirts are just as heavy. Um, no, uh, obviously, don't not grown up Basque region, so I'm not going to pick a side in a sense, but. Uh, Athletic Bilbao is very inert in a sense, right? They they want to collect youth from the Basque region 
and promote them and have them in the first team. Real Sociedad is is the same, but um, and I've, I mean he's probably one of the most pro- prolific shares of concept in Roberto Olave at Real Sociedad. What he says, the numbers he's put on it percentage wise is that we want eighty percent of our first team of our players to be from our region, okay? Because they know our culture, they know our expectations, and they know what it means to succeed in this shirt. We want that twenty percent. That is, say, the Alexander Isaac, the Martin Odegaard, um, the um, I forget David Silva. We want those players who are not Basque, who did not grow up in our area. We want them to come into our setup and help us to grow even further. We want them to bring in outside ideas, outside perspectives, not to change what we're doing, but to add in. So when you see um, a Sadiq Umar or a um, I'm going to butcher his name. I think it's Takafusi Kubo. Um, when you see Alexander Sorloff in the first team and, and performing, I mean, there's ups and downs, obviously, with, with players and profiles. Well, you see them perform in Real Sociedad and they're Norwegian, Norwegian, Scandinavian, Nigerian, Muslim, and a Japanese 21-year-old. Those are not Basque players, right? They're, they're not. But why are they performing? Why do they feel comfortable? And they feel comfortable because they're in a setup that launches not just their personality and their their playing talent, but they're expected to bring who they are into the club. And as a sporting director, to answer your question directly, you should be able to know that who you have been as a club is very much, a, <laughs> I'm going to say a lot of redundant words, it's very much a lot of what you need to sell to players and their entourage and their agents, intermediaries. This is who we have been. This is who you are. We, we really want you to come play in our first team, Sadiq. We, we've done great things. The last striker that we had of your caliber is now at Newcastle, and he's doing, he's doing okay, you know, sarcastically. He's doing okay. You're the next one. And the sporting directors who can understand, and, and I like to use the, the metaphor of bridges. If they can bridge what a prior talent or manager did with the opportunity given and reaffirm the resources at play, it really comes down to humility and ego uh, on that profile or player or, or manager to accept the, the challenge of, hey, I'm just as good. Or, I mean, quite honestly, I think they all say, oh, I'm better than him. I'm better, I'm better than you know the guy that you just had. Let's go. Sign me up. Now it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens at both those clubs. Actually, I think um, at, at Bilbao, I think the the sporting director and the manager have been in their positions for just over a year now. And I think at Schalke, there's a new sporting director, even though he was I think the the chief scout previously. So there's obviously a bit of transition happening there. But both seem to kind of align within to the culture that both clubs have. So. Just want to move across to the to the last two that we had on our list, um, and even though I'm going to group them together, it may not be easy to actually talk about them as a group. But let's talk about PSV um, in the Eredivisie, and let's talk about Anderlecht in the Belgian Pro League. Um, you know, both heavyweights in those leagues, right? Not like Schalke and Bilbao, I guess. Now, um, you know, both have got huge success in the past. Um, I think Anderlecht are going through a bit of a 
uh, an interesting situation right now with their drop off in their league. Um, but PSV have been, you know, second in their league for three years running. There seems to be a bit of turmoil there with regards to the manager with, with Ruud van Nistelrooy leaving. Um, both have sporting directors that came in in January of this year. So I just wanted to kind of ask you with regards to their leagues, sporting directors in their leagues, which I guess some people see as developmental leagues. What would you think the challenges are for those sporting directors in those leagues and those clubs who, let's be honest, are very successful and definitely have heavy shirts? Yeah, it um, it, it really it really comes down to they, they they need to elect a path, choose a path. You cannot one of I get the question on on Twitter so much that I just I think I've in my old age and in my maturity, I, I try to, I, I try to deflect it and, and move it because I just don't see positive examples of it too often, especially with the developmental leagues or clubs. We talk about how um, a club can develop talent and win uh, and win the title. I'm just going to tell you right now, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yes. There might be anomalies. There might be, you might have, um, other clubs in that domestic landscape who are weakened or weaker and it can happen in a short window of time over three over three seasons it might happen twice i'll be honest but the reason why you need to elect either focus on development of players or focus on winning is because you have to pay for one (laughs) and if you're paying for both you will sink the club unless you have an infinite source of capital which uh to leave those who i constantly leave are uh, constantly poke in this podcast alone, <laughs> go for it uh, no 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 i'm gonna behave so um <laughs> if if you don't have infinite uh access to capital like psv like anderlecht just you need to choose one one is not better than the other it's just more so that one allows you to focus on it and be the best at it let's be a hundred percent brutally um, honest. Bayern Munich wins leagues, wins titles. Yes, they develop talent, but that's a sidebar. That's a sidebar to what they do. It is more important to them to win uh, the Bundesliga than it is to have um, uh, the, the, the best youth player in their first team. Period. Same thing with uh, Real Madrid. They do. I mean, yes, they have a very prolific and very good academy. But you don't ever hear them really talking. Florentino doesn't talk about that. What does he talk about? La Septima, whatever the next one is. They, they, they are focused on what they're focused as far as uh, uh, achievement. And everything behind it is aligned. Yes, um, there's anomalies or outliers every single year or every single season. But the better part of 15 or, well, all of Florentino's reign, they've been really about two things. Beating Barcelona anytime, anywhere, by any means possible, and winning um, uh, Champions League. That's it. Those are the two directives, right? Um, when we talk about, I'll do, I'll do it in reverse order in my mind. When we look at PSV with Ruud van Nistelrooy leaving, um, Marcel Brands being more of a, I'm going to call it club CEO, not necessarily solely focused on the sporting side. You have Ernie Stewart there, who's a fellow American. Um, PSV is interesting in a sense that they, I mean, they're 1A in the Netherlands. I mean, there's Ajax and and them. Uh, Ajax, PSV, Fire Nord, um, 
Oh, what's the other club? I always forget the other. Uh, Azet. Uh, so you, and Azet is very much an upstart uh, compared mm-hmm. to the other three. That being said, do you go? Do you are you trying to get more Noni Maduikes, or are you trying to get, uh, you know, and Santi Jimenez's, or are you trying to get more just? St- I'm going to use the term stability through uh, championships. Are you trying to get more stabilized? read into that between the lines older players to win you kind of see that straddling with ajax and it's a league where you can get away with it i'll be honest you can get away with with wanting to win the title and developing talent but not for long um not for long i i, I believe fire nord broke that azed has broken that with what they have done in europe what does that mean as far as being a sporting director? It means that you have to be able to navigate. If you look, you have to be able to navigate people, right? Because you know what the expectation is. The expectation is to win, but also you you know that you are limited capital-wise in how you can win. So the only likely bridge that is worth traversing in and out is people, culture. And I said this when... Um, uh paulo maldini left ac milan again these details will come out over time it might take years right you just we just have to be patient uh how van nistelrooy left uh psv is not good it's not good for psv's brand or or shirt because quite simply you have one of your club's best and he's leaving in a manner that doesn't look well upon leadership there and I say it all the time, leadership starts at the top. So whether you keep Shabby uh, Simons or not, then what? Are you going with a, a younger, let's develop the best talent mentality? Or are we going with, hey, um, you know, uh, I don't think they would ever do it, but uh, say Dusan Tadic at uh, Ajax is going to be free. Let's bring him. I'm not saying it could happen, but I'm saying he's 33, 34. The gratification, I'm not going to call it instant. Are you looking for the gratification of stability and results? Or are you looking for more of the, hey, we're a Dutch club, we develop talent, and we win when we're in Europe? If you're going more towards that route, that's fine, but you have to choose, right? You, you can't do both. Um, I believe with them signing Noah Lang, I want to say they're going, they're, they're, they're pushing more towards that, the latter performance, which again, we'll see over two to three transfer windows. It's easy to see a, a transfer window in isolation and say that it was a winner or a loser. Um, it's fool's gold. We, you have to look at it over multiple um, multiple windows. Now with Anderlecht, it's kind of more, um, more steps back, I guess is a way of saying it. So last year they brought in Jesper Fredberg from Viborg in Denmark. And then uh, they had so-so results, let's be honest. Um, However, uh, then within the last, I believe, two months, they brought in Mikhail Hammersound from FC Norseland. To me, that is the beginning of rays of sunlight for them, to, to me, because those two directors I have studied heavily over the past three plus seasons, and those two directors know how to source youth talent. They know how to get developing potential talent. What does that mean as far as Anderlecht? in the season upcoming, it means that they're probably not going to win the title. I mean, let's let's call it for what it is. 
but they are going to push longer for European places than what they did um, this past season. And uh, forgive me for not, I think this is this upcoming season, they are changing their playoff format or their points uh, schematic for the Belgian top flight. So I say all that to say that, you know, to circle back to, to my initial point, PSV, Anderlecht, any club in Portugal, um, any club that is not uh, France, UK, Germany, Italy, Spain, uh, you're served well by choosing. You need to choose to, to win or choose to develop. To choose both is to be bankrupt, right? When we look at Ferenc Varos um, in uh, Hungary, I believe, uh, they choose to win. They, they don't choose to develop the next great winger from Ghana. They're not looking at talent from South Korea. I'm not saying they don't have it or they don't want it. I'm saying they're looking for free transfers or expiring contracts of European battle-tested players so that once they start playing group stages or, or qualifiers for Champions League here in the next coming weeks, they get to the group stages because financially and culturally for the club, that is the expectation. So again, winning versus developing, it's not good or bad. It's just you need to choose. You can't do both. Yeah, I think all the clubs try to do it, right? But obviously, some succeed, some don't succeed. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's a balancing act, right? Maybe, maybe they have to realize that we're in a developmental phase right now, so let's focus there. And we've actually got a team that can win, so let's focus there. So I wanted to just, like when we were looking at these seven clubs, um, David, you know, all of them have directors or managers that have been in the role for less than three years, right? So, you know, and they're all, in many cases, you know, they're relatively young, inexperienced directors also. So I don't know, is there anything to read into this? I mean, it feels like, statistically speaking, one of those is probably going, are they all trying similar things or one of those is going to shoot out um, in the next few years? And I think you might have mentioned it with the last uh, answer that you had um, with your affiliation with, with the Danish. Um, so I don't know, is there anything to read into that at all? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you, you, you need to read into it that change was needed. And those those directors or managers were brought in. That's I mean, that is uh, obvious. You have to read that part into it. But also, depending on the complexity of the mess, uh, when I say mess, I say that respectfully, just as far as, um, you know, as a sidebar in sport, it's, it's just it's interesting to see how dynamics of communication and clarity that we would expect in a in a functioning family i'm not saying dysfunctional or, or all families are functional or all businesses are functional um or dysfunctional i'm sorry for, for the negative tense however there's certain things that you you would expect to be consistent in an environment that is dependent on performance right so you would expect that the owner would know how much um he needs to pay in utility bills or for recruitment for a transfer window or things that we would think that are normal, right? For those of us who have at least played football manager at FIFA, right? We, we know what our transfer budget <laughs> is, right? Um, I say that in jest, but you would be shocked that those commonplace like next step thoughts aren't always present in clubs or aren't always p- present in people in certain roles at clubs. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that to say that um, when you have a 
a manager or a leader or a director in a role for less than three years. He was brought in for a reason. And no matter what reason he was brought in for potential or for stability or to correct, or even maybe to clean up, that the arc of the club's performance will be directly aligned to that person fulfilling their role, right? So um, it's not uh, in the Netherlands or, or Belgium, but you look at um, Marseille bringing in Marcelino. Marseille, I mean, I don't know how, they just, they're, they're like the most legit invisible big club for me because they're always good they always have young talent they always have a decent if not very good manager right but they, they just always escape me and uh, you know my apologies we go from igor tudor who's a very good coach but he i say but in jest hey he, <laughs> he, he's been texting messaging uh luciano spalletti and they're both taking sabbatical whatever okay um but then they bring in marcelino who is i mean i'm biased i think he's one of the best coaches um, on the on the free market or was right there I'll be surprised if they're they're not pushing for the league I mean whatever PSG does that's a whole nother podcast or seven I don't know I mean I'm not going to talk about that but the rest of the field whether it's Lons whether it's Lyon whether it's Monaco whether it's Ren it's very it's close enough to where having a you know, forgive me for being competitive. Having a better manager is important, right? Yeah. To to pick up points where necessary, or be to be able to adjust in game against a direct rival for points. So to answer your question, I, I think again, I I think there's something to read into it, but it's more so to monitor. Okay, and just to use Marcelino as an example, what was Marcelino brought in to do? I believe to raise the the the, um, the the floor of Marseille. Igor Tudor did a great job, right? He did a great job, but Marcelino is in there to to raise the floor even higher. I don't know what the ceiling is because the ceiling always depends on. And again, you're talking about Marseille, so you're again you're talking about a club that's a lot like Lazio or Roma, where the intensity of the supporters and the um, uh, let's call it the, the culture is. For those of us who speak English first, I don't think we appreciate how intense it is, right? So you have a, a very good club that wants to be very better, which is poor English, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be very better. Let, let's see, not after this coming season. So we're, we're looking at 24-25. Where does Marcelino have that club? Yes, Paulo Longoria on the recruitment, or I guess over the whole club, you know, for what it's worth, not just recruitment, technical side. What does that look like? There's nothing wrong. There's nothing to read into with, I'm going to say, not necessarily transfers, but managers or directors getting roles in different in different clubs. That that part is almost piecemeal. The part to, to monitor is what they do and how they communicate success. How do they communicate club slash ownership slash board expectations? One of my favorite managers, I'm just going off on a tangent now because, I mean, I'm on manager mode. Uh, one of my favorite managers is Miron Muslic at Circle Bruges. If you listen to his press conferences, thankfully they're in English, uh, or he speaks English uh, primarily, I think. Uh, he does, I mean, to me it's a gift because you don't see it. I, I, I am... 
an anomaly. I'm an outlier. I love watching press conferences. I always have. I don't know why. It's just I love to see the the connect or disconnect between where we're going versus where we are. And Muslich every single week, 38 times, and that, that's not even including cup matches, he will talk about what they did, what they could have done, where they are, where they expect to be, and the silver lining. And the silver lining, for those of you who are smart and watch enough of these guys talk, the silver lining is the effort that he's seeing from his players. And he goes out of his way. He goes out of his way to commend them, right? He's all, I mean, the, the, his press conference might be eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Seven minutes of it is just manager speak, man. I mean, it, I, I call it for what it is, you know, it, it's manager speak. But he has parceled it out in such a way and he's able to do it organically to where I sit back and say to myself, yeah, I would I would play for this guy, you know, simply because he's not hiding or pulling punches. He's saying, hey, I mean, uh, Antwerp is pretty much the class of the league right now. We're up against it, but we have the talent to take our chances. You know, as long as we continue to work and the effort is there, the effort, I see the effort Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, our supporters will be cheering us on. Like, it sounds so boilerplate, but when you step back and you listen to who managers are talking to, managers are not talking to media. I mean, they are, but they're not. The media just has a microphone and the pens. Managers, when they have those press conferences, are talking to players, they're talking to supporters, and maybe more importantly, subtly, the good ones are talking to the owners. And they're telling the owners, I am leading your lot to the promised land. Do not derail it by bringing in or talking about, and I'm joking, but for just for emphasis, don't talk about building a new stadium. Don't talk about, you know, new managers. Do not talk about new talent. Do not talk about anything from your leadership position that distracts our group from where I'm leading us because we're getting closer. We're getting closer. And again, Muslich is He's in Belgium, so obviously he's not going to have, you know, 17 million views <laughs> on anything, on any press conference. But the, the, the core mineral fundamental ability to, to articulate who we are, what we're doing and where we are going, that is a skill that I would safely say 90 percent of the managers that um, we know, we see top five leagues don't possess or they don't mobilize let me say it that way they all have it but they don't mobilize in public the ones that do tend to be the ones that always get the jobs or that are in the roles um that we that we all aspire to at the clubs with the heaviest shirts i don't know he might get those views david after listening to you (laughs) so uh you never know but it's interesting actually that you measured you mentioned floor and ceiling because even in with my biz- when I'm looking at businesses, um, people always talk about the opportunity. People always talk about how high can you go, right? But one of the things that I've always tried to do is understand where is our current floor and let's raise that. Because when we strive for the stars and the opportunity, if we fall, then how far are we going to fall, right? So I think it's it's very, very important. Um, I mean, not just sporting directors, but just generally speaking, to understand both areas and not just focus on one. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, hopefully. So. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, and just to keep it 
keep it football because if we talk about business, I mean, then I will I will not keep quiet because it, <laughs> it is a hundred percent. You, I mean, I, I said this in jest in the past. You you have a different appreciation of the duty of money and capital when you pay other people money for their livelihood, right? Um, so I'll say that and I'll leave it alone because I, that that that's a heavy one. That's a heavy statement, right? That being said, when you take it back specifically to football, you know a lot of people have have, have messaged me about Cristiano Giuntoli, uh joining Juventus. Oh, you know, he's underrated. He's garbage, basura, or all these things that come out, right? And the fact of the matter is, is that when you know what your floor is, Juventus floor is very high. Juventus might be one of those clubs where there technically is no floor, right? Like, with all due respect, they have to win the league. (laughs) They have to. If they don't win the league, the club will, it, it, it will implode, right? So, if you look at where they've been through controversy and through deceit and then through, you know, on the pitch, however you want to slice it up, you know, be my guest. They need a director who understands how, and I say this and I know that it gets old, you have to be able to source talent, not just because it's important, but because if you don't understand where you are as a club and what your floor is, there is, it's going to be very, very hard to not only stay there, but to get to the next level. So Juntoli is very good at finding talent that is nascent. It's going to burst. Uh, Juventus needs that rejuvenation. They, they can't, I mean, well, they obviously can't play for, pay for a Cristiano Ronaldo anymore, right? But they have to be able, they need to get their own version of Osimhen. They have to. They have to. And I would even argue that it's not even about money anymore or, or capital or, or however, like balance sheet. It's it's more so for their shirt, their crest, their brand. They have been since, I would say, what, the 50s, 60s? Um, they, they've been the club that has the best Italian talent. We cannot say that about Juventus. We have not been able to say that about Juventus for a while. You know who has the best Italian talent? This is me, hyperbole. That's the best Italian talent? Sassuolo, and then they sell them back to everybody but Juventus, right? That that is that is where the heavy shirt and um, here here even in the states, there's an Italian gentleman who lives nearby uh, uh, my office, and we'll come in and we'll talk about. He's a Juve fan, and I said, "Oh, you guys are getting Juntoli." It's like, yeah, yeah, I think he'll be okay. And then he goes off on his uh, profanity lace tirade on how. <laughs> The club isn't what it used to be. And that is where, at the end of the day, I, I shared it, uh, I think in the last episode, it's, it's more than Plus Valenza. It's more than, okay, we signed, um, you know, even Rakitic for $2 million and we sold him to Barcelona for 20 I mean, that's cool. I mean, you're going to get case studies written about it. Harvard Business Review might talk to you. Um, the Athletic is going to talk to you. Fabricio Romano is going to get connected to you. Those, those things are fine, right, from a uh, accomplishment uh, standing. But the heartbeat of football, the, the heartbeat of why we all like football is that we affiliate and connect ourselves to clubs that are like us. Nobody attaches – I mean, Johan Kroff has, has said this. He said the other way. He said that he hasn't seen a bag of money score a goal. I would say I've never seen a bag of money cheer. 
It doesn't cheer. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't hoop and holler. Right. It doesn't. And then that's not to say that it's good or bad because it's not. It's neutral. Right. But football is at the base of an identity. That crest, that shirt, those colors, the stripes, um, whatever color scheme, uh, like that is at the base of an identity. And when you as a director focus only on um, balance sheet football, BSF, yeah, you're going to, I mean, you're going to do fine, but you're never going to connect. And when you connect is when you win. Just just rounding up this kind of heavy shirt idea with... um you know, I guess the clubs that we've been talking about, how much, David, should a sporting director really care about the heaviness of a shirt? I mean, last time, you know, you mentioned that a heavy shirt actually should be a benefit rather than a burden. So what would you what would you say with regards to how much should sporting directors should care and embrace that shirt when they come in? Yeah, I would say that if you're a... If you have ambition and you are serious, more so not not about yourself, okay, that that should 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 not even be in question. But if you're serious about what the club can do under your watch, that heaviness of the shirt should be one thousand percent fuel to make the best decisions possible when given, right? So when um, when I look at the clubs that, and I mentioned this briefly before we um, uh, we started recording, when I, I I see two clubs that understand this reality, and I'll be compact as I can, and there are two clubs that are not at the same uh, level, uh, let's just say capital worldwide. Real Madrid and Benfica are doing the exact same thing on different scales. They're going after the best youth attacking talent, and let's just call it um, core talents, and they're signing them at a discount compared to what they're going to be worth next year. They're not going to wait. Florentino used to wait until um, sometimes he doesn't have a choice, uh, i.e. Kylian Mbappe, but he used to wait till Jude Bellingham was, let's say, 22, 23. And he would pay the 150 million euro. He would pay the 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 Kaka fee. He would pay the Cristiano Ronaldo fee, um, w- without even blinking, because he knew what he was getting. Football has adapted. Football has changed. You have to get talent faster, because it's not even that Barcelona or Sevilla or Manchester United might get that talent. That talent might not be. That talent might not connect with who you are soon enough for them to matter. Okay, so how is Benfica doing the same thing? They're getting Shelter up. They're getting Corku uh, 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 from um, Feyenoord. They've they've gotten the uh, Kirk, not Kirkus, um, Jurasek recently this week. They, they they simply they understand that yes, you need a core. Um, in in Italy, they call it the senatore, the, the the older players who know the value of the supporters who can even literally talk to the supporters. They know the, the, um, the crest, the flag, they know the culture of the city, the town. They know, they know everything about the club because they played there for years. They grew up there. So you're going to have your core, let's just say five or six, maybe even less than that. Maybe it's even two or three players who are old. (laughs) They're old. Let's just be honest. They're old. Yeah. 
they're I'm gonna say for the sake of this conversation, they're 28, 29, and up, and they don't even play a whole lot, right? Relatively speaking, or they're the center back or the goalkeeper, but they are the ones who teach the young ones the way, right? Um, yes, at some point you have a financial element. You can't keep Sergio Ramos and continue to have Eder Militao and all these. You yes, at some point you just you just can't. And hierarchically, I don't think that's a word, um, but we'll I think it is. I think yeah. it is. <laughs> we'll force fit it in. You know, just as far as egos, and I, I like to call it the apex predator landscape in athletics, you can't have you can't have Sergio Ramos and Vinicius and Rodrigo. You can't have the, all these guys who are alphas just chained up together in a in a chaining uh, changing room for too long. You 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 need to elect, um, even if you have Kroos or Modric, you need to elect somebody to be the leader. So the heaviness of the shirt, just to answer your question and to, to stand down, the, the heaviness of the shirt is always fuel for the good ones. For the bad ones, it buries them within months because you know that they cannot make decisions at the level that the club needs. And that's the scary thing. That's what I didn't get to with Schalke, right? For what it's worth, I'm just looking at observation. I'm not projecting the people that they've hired, the, the men that they've hired and the roles that they um, trusted them with were not able to deliver at the level that was necessary for the shirt, for the tradition of the club. I'm not saying that was hundred percent their fault. I'm just saying that they didn't deliver. And that isn't that sport, you know, um, you're, we're, we're all beholden in a team, in a club environment, we're beholden to everybody doing their job. And if one person do, doesn't do their job and the old team will suffer, uh, the whole club will suffer for better or for worse by luck of the draw or not that's 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 the beauty of a team sport right that you leverage all of these leverage all of these things so and it's you know it's a great for us great way for us to finish finish this up and we really really hope that you are listening and you have enjoyed the conversation about heavy shirts um and the clubs it's 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 massive and it transcends the whole club without a doubt you know that shirt can uh impact the ownership, impact the sporting directors, impact management, impact the team, impact managers the whole way down. And so we've got a lot more to come for you in, in the coming weeks. So so please stay tuned. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please leave us a comment. Please leave some feedback. We'd really love to hear from you. Um, as always, David, thank you so much for being here. Um, I will put your, your Twitter uh, handle in the show notes. And for those of you listening out there, Get Football, we have a whole range of content across our various outlets and platforms. So, you know, please keep a lookout for all of that um, as we go through this transfer season, transfer window and into the new season. And lastly, and always just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for taking your time out of your day to listen to us. And we will hopefully see you on the next one. Take care. Bye.